Todo. Welcome to Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Now we're in week three of our Christmas-themed horror film fest, and uh, the movie tonight was Christmas Evil, originally titled You Better Watch Out. Uh, Craig, you're the one who suggested this. Uh, how did you hear about this film? All right, so we were talking about uh, doing some more Christmas-themed movies, and so I just did a quick Google search of Christmas horror movies, uh, and it brought up of a list of about 20 or so, and this one stuck out to me, one, because I had never seen it before, and two, because the cover art was really kind of, it caught my eye, and it made me think, I think that when I was a kid, this is one of those covers that I would see at the video store, and it was always intriguing to me, but for whatever reason, uh, I never picked it up, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it's an interesting little movie. It sure is. You know, as a kid uh, watching this film, I think you probably would have seen it very differently than as an adult watching this film, don't you think? Yeah, most probably. You know, it's one of those things that I, I had to wonder. Having never seen it before, I have no kind of emotional connection to it. You know, there are some... I'm just going to throw it out there. There are some bad movies out there that, you know, I kind of just have a nostalgic feeling for. Uh, and so I kind of have a, there's, you know, a little special place in my heart for them. This isn't one. I don't have, I, I didn't have that going in. And so my, uh, my objective take on it is probably a little bit different than it would be had I seen it when I was a kid. Yeah, you're, you're not colored by nostalgia right. with this film. Probably right. not a lot of people have been considering... I guess it didn't get much of a theatrical release at all. Um, I believe there was a problem with the MPAA and the advertisements. They didn't um, approve the advertisements in the newspaper for this. Yeah, that's what I heard. And then so it, it the release was more limited than they had initially anticipated. And when it came out, you know, what I've read is that really critics were pretty good. You know, they were pretty nice about this film. They had pretty positive things to say about it. It wasn't received very well, though, uh, and the director thinks that that's because there's really a pretty low body count, and there's really not a lot of gore, and while there are kills, they don't come until about 50 minutes or so into this, what, 80-something, 90-minute movie? Yeah, it's pretty low on body count, yeah, and uh, if you were coming in here looking for a slasher horror film... Probably as people around this era were. Right. I, I mean, you're looking at 1980. That was uh, just a year after Halloween. Right. Um, around the time of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably that's what folks coming to see this were expecting. And instead, what they got was almost um, like a David Lynch film, yeah. <laughs> in a way. It's a lot more into this. It's more of a psychological thriller than a horror film, like right. a character study exploration. It, it's, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, uh, the premise is we start out in what I guess is kind of a flashback sometime in the 1940s, 1944, 46, something like that. And it's a Christmas scene where you've got a mother and, and two boys sitting on the stairs, you know, kind of watching the fireplace. And Santa Claus comes down the fireplace and starts putting presents around and whatnot. And then one of the little boys starts giggling and Santa Claus turns and kind of gives them the little Santa Claus wink and whatnot and and they go back to bed and one of the brothers the younger brother Billy is saying oh that was just dad that was just dad dressed up and the older brother Harry says no way there's no way that was dad daddy that wasn't daddy wasn't daddy you're crazy Harry no you're crazy you don't know nothing Philly 
Philly! Uh, but I guess his curiosity gets the best of him, and he goes back downstairs, and he finds Santa in a uh, compromising position with his mother. Now, of course, it is his dad, um, but uh, <laughs> apparently he still doesn't put that together, and uh, I think that that kind of breaks him somehow, and he goes upstairs to the attic and smashes a Christmas globe and slices his hand with the Christmas globe, Uh, and then we cut and jump to present day, where we have Harry waking up in the morning to a Christmas music box uh, alarm clock, he's wearing Santa Claus pajamas, pajamas. he's got dolls and Christmas memorabilia all over the house. The walls are papered with images of Santa. So obviously he's been obsessed since that event in his childhood. And and then we follow him from there and he's clearly <laughs> unhinged. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how uh, that event, when you look at his apartment when he wakes up, obviously it's kind of a sad single man's apartment. Oh, yeah, definitely. This guy's in his middle age by now. I presume it's present day, so it's 1980. So you go from 1949 to 1980. He's he's in his 40s or so. And all of the, even, even the music that he wakes up to, or at least it's playing in the background, is that 1940s, 1950s style jazzy Christmas music. Right. And all of the decor... And the imagery and things around his apartment, they're not necessarily, there's some of the modern, but more or less sort of that classical Christmas did a very good visual representation, I think, of how this guy is clearly stuck in the past. Right. Kind of clearly stuck with his old Christmas memories. And then, of course, you think, oh, well, it must be Christmas time. Well, kind of, but there's a sign on the wall where he has this Christmas countdown and it says, 55 days until Christmas. (laughs) Like, oh gosh, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. So this guy's clearly obsessed. And then, of course, to top it all off, what is he? But he's the the newly promoted sort of foreman at the uh, local toy factory. Right, right, (laughs) at the toy factory. And, you know, he's concerned about quality. You know, he really wants these toy. He wants the workers who are, you know, not interested at all or concerned at all about quality. He really wants to make sure that the toys are quality because they're going to be going to children, and it's such an important thing. He's clearly obsessed. You know, there's there's no other way to put it. It, it almost harkens back to even uh, the Krampus that we watched last time, where it starts out as this guy who's sort of afraid that everybody's not really keeping the true spirit of Christmas as he is. And boy, is he keeping it, you know? He, he even has that flashback. Uh, he, it has some cute moments, uh, like when he sort of, he's getting ready to shave and he puts on his shaving cream and he holds up the ray. At first, he's really sort of delighted by the fact that he kind of looks like Santa. Even though he's a dark-haired right. um, guy, he's got this sort of Santa beard on and then he goes up with his razor to shave. And he has a sort of moment where he's sort of a mental snap. Yeah, he nicks himself, uh, mm-hmm. and the sight of the blood causes him to flash back to that moment when he cut himself uh, when he was a kid. I don't really get the sense necessarily that that was any kind of breaking point. You know, no. I get the sense that this guy is, has been looped. You know, f- from the time he was a kid, and we, you know, we we uh, see his his younger brother as an adult too, um, and his brother is talking to his wife, and his wife's like, you know, please leave Harry alone this year. Don't give him a lot of trouble. You won't ever let him... You always bring up his mistakes and remind him of his mistakes. And the brother says, well, he's made lots of mistakes. So you get the sense that he's been troubled throughout his life. But that was one of the things... You know, 
this isn't a good movie, folks, or at least I don't think so. You know, no. it's got its it's got its fans out there, and I, I you know, probably my guess would be that they've got that nostalgic attachment to it. But it's interesting in some ways because Harry, the main guy, is really not your typical bad guy at all. His intentions are really coming from a good place. You know, he wants to remind people of the true meaning of Christmas. Throughout the course of the movie, he, you know, wants to reward people who are good, especially children, and he has an affinity for children. Now, it's really creepy. Yeah, he's up on the rooftop uh, staring out through binoculars across the street at the apartment building, and he's uh, going from window to window and looking at all these kids and so, oh, you know, Julie, she's really nice, she's really good, and goes up in one of the kids, uh, Moss Garcia, (laughs) who we get to hear about a lot, uh, is reading a penthouse. uh, (laughs) And, like, cutting out the centerfold. It's awesome. (laughs) And he's, like, uh, what, like, eight or nine it's not all these little kids and he goes back and he actually has a couple sets of books there's a book of good girls and boys 1980 Uh (laughs) bad girls and boys 1980 and he has meticulously been documenting each of these kids sins which for the most part especially because they're kids are pretty silly yeah Uh, like uses foul language picks uh, his nose picks his nose crosses against the light was my favorite one (laughs) (laughs) Impure thoughts was uh, the closest we get to anything uh, that sounds somewhat sinister that these kids are doing. It's funny because he clearly takes this very seriously. I don't know where he had these books bound, but he's got like these (laughs) these large, like leather bound books. Professionally printed on the front. With good little boys and girls and bad little boys and girls. You'd almost think that the person at the uh, printing store would would catch on to this. It's like, you know, 14 years of this, uh, these big empty (laughs) books that you're binding. If anybody had caught him doing what he was doing you know he's watching these kids with binoculars through the window from across the street but then later on he comes around at night and is looking directly into their windows and um, yeah it's 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 very creepy at the same time you my initial thought if i saw somebody doing that would be creep pervert you know bad guy but he doesn't really have those motives you know he's no. really just he's he's really just observing and at one point he goes to uh, that the bad kid's house moss's house and uh tries to scare him but it's nothing violent no um, he looks in the window and then he sort of marks his house he smears his face and his hands with dirt and kisses the the outside wall and puts his hands on there and then uh, when moss comes out with his mother he's hiding in the bushes and kind of makes himself seen and, and moss slowly approaches and then he jumps out at him a little bit but not to the point where his mom can see it's it's kind of a weird scene it's it kind is. of a, a forced uh unrealistic thing but he is a a figure in his neighborhood he walks down the street with his groceries and the kids are calling out at him from across the street and asking what did you wish for today what'd you wish for today i wished i was super magic i wished i was principal so i could throw whoever i wanted out of school and i wish i was a firefighter dive bomber and take a project boom great great I wish I had a lifetime subscription to Penthouse Magazine. Most Garcia. And he's not even paying them particular mind, but he's delighting in the fact that they're continuing to talk with him as he continues to walk by. Right, and it seems like he's liked by the children. You know, it seems like they have some kind of rapport or relationship. So, yeah, I mean, he's... Again, like I said, he's not your typical bad guy. I mean, seriously unhinged, and then later on in the movie, he starts punishing the bad people, but only adults, you know, uh... You know, we go through Thanksgiving and he watches the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which 
on another note, there's tons of holiday thrown in here. I there's mean, a lot, yeah. It's um, huge on, you know, Christmas imagery. The The entire soundtrack is Christmas music, lots of traditional Christmas music. And surprisingly, some modern Christmas music, which you wouldn't think a movie like this could get the rights to. Yeah. Um, that's playing in the background at the Christmas parties yeah. and things like that. <laughs> there you was, know? I think, like a, a disco version of Here Comes Santa Claus, which I've got <laughs> to get my hands on. Oh, it was awesome. He, you know, he, he watches the Thanksgiving Day Parade and he's all excited. About Santa, we follow him through the course uh, of of the movie, kind of prepping, getting ready for Christmas, and uh, eventually we do get there. And he goes to his office Christmas party and finds out that they are having this promotion within the company where, however much they can produce, you know, it, it's it's encouraging productivity. However much they can produce a percentage of that will be donated to this children's hospital. Oh, no, it's the Willows State Hospital for Retarded Children. Right. Which <laughs> more or less shows the age of the film than anything Definitely, else. yeah, not, not so PC there. It, did, it didn't age well <laughs> in that regard. But, uh, you know, he, he sees it for what it is. He sees it as a business ploy. The guy who planned it is uh, not mm-hmm. concerned at all about getting toys to the kids. It's just about productivity. Are there enough toys for all the children in the hospital? I don't have the slightest idea how many children are in that hospital, Harry. I worked on campaign presentation. But I'll tell you something, the idea of mine is really solid. The factory can't always shoulder the whole burden. You mean you're waiting for these guys to contribute? You're on the other side of the desk now. You've got to understand good business. It's okay, Harry. Really, the factory comes out okay, and so do those kids you're so worried about. You're worse than he is. He doesn't even know why a tune has to be played. You actually know how to play it. Look what you're doing with it. And that's uh, kind of what sets him off, and that's really what leads to the first murders. That's right. He basically goes to the toy factory in the middle of the night, loads up on a bunch of presents, paints his van with a... It's kind of cute, actually. Yeah. He's got this white van, but then he paints it with a sleigh. And, and at home, even, he's sort of constructing toys. He has uh-huh. this sort of creepy dolls everywhere, like in his workshop, in his garage, and things like half-put-together toys and dolls, like he's got his own workshop at home. And some of them, you know, if you look closely, are really kind of dark. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not all happy, and and that's, that's really the case, you know, with his deco, too. Like, for the most part, it's really kind of traditional Christmas stuff and, you know, lots of Santa imagery, but there's one image uh, on the wall that they do a close-up of for a minute that depicts Santa as this judge like kind of, you know, up uh, on a pedestal looking down and pointing down accusingly at the bad kids. So there is kind of a dark side to it, too. Yeah, that's clearly how he sees Santa as this sort of judge, this person who's responsible for them for keeping the morality in check of these kids so that they'll grow up to be good adults. And it's like he's not going to punish the kids, but he goes ape over the adults. Right. And that, I think, is kind of a weakness of this film in that the first murder takes place, of course, after he delivers uh, the toys to this Willow Street home for retarded children. Right. Is, uh, is, uh, he's well-received. He yeah. Even, there's even kind of a magical moment there where he is waiting for the security guard to go inside and tell people what's going on. They're going to come out. In the meantime, he's practicing his Merry Christmas, and he's going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. 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 
And then suddenly, snow kind of comes down from behind, and he goes, Merry Christmas, at the same time he came, they come out. And it's this odd sort of jubilant point where you, for a moment, are kind of on his side. Yeah. You know? Because there's nothing sinister about it. I mean, the, the movie kind of plays it like you wonder if he's going to somehow turn sinister even in these moments where it seems like he's trying to be good-natured. But he doesn't. You know, he really is just wanting to deliver the toys to these kids. And at first, the security guard is skeptical of him. You know, here's this guy showing up in the middle of the night unannounced. But, you know, he charms his way, not inside, but he gets the staff to come out. And he, he opens the back of the van. It's full of toys. They happily unload everything and take everything out. And they're genuinely grateful. You know, one of the nurses uh, gives him a kiss on the cheek and he goes on his merry way. Yeah. You know, nothing sinister at all. It's really quite nice. And so you, you you do get on his side a little bit. You think, well, I mean, obviously, you know you're watching what's billed as a horror film. So you know that something's going to turn at some point. But you've been waiting a long time for it. And that's probably part of the problem. Yeah, maybe. Uh, with people who are expecting it. But then he, as he's driving, as pretty much happens throughout this movie, you have this juxtaposition of really happy, good things that he's doing. And then as the high of that comes down he starts thinking about the bad things that have happened to him and the guy at work who forced him to take his shift when when he didn't really mind it, didn't seem to really mind taking his shift, but he keeps rubbing it in everywhere like right. he does mind. And he, he comes to find out that he was manipulated and, you know, into doing it and, and that makes him mad, which would make me mad too. But. Yeah, and and he goes, goes back to the guy with the Willow Street home and how he d- admitted to him, we don't really know how many kids there are there, we don't really care, it's all kind of a ploy. And so then he goes to this church and he's standing outside the church and I guess he's supposed to know that those two guys are inside the church? Yeah, he does know. When, when he was talking to them at the Christmas party, the main boss, the guy whose idea this whole productivity thing was he's new and the main boss is introducing harry to this new guy and he explains the whole uh thing with the toys or whatever but he mentions he's new in town he's going to be staying with me and the wife over the holidays he wants the whole experience the whole midnight mass and everything so he he knew they were going to be there and that's Mm. who he goes there looking for okay yeah and he's standing outside and uh, all the people sort of pile out and instantly you have these two very snobby kind of stereotypical snobby (laughs) couples who come down the steps and start to rib him just because he's santa you know right right. oh look at his coat and look at all this stuff which is a coat he's put together himself which is actually pretty impressive it really is and we get to watch him do it which begs the question all right if he's been this unhinged this long and there have been this many years that go by does he create a new suit every year why now who knows but his suit is different and distinctive because he cut up an old uh, fur coat and so instead of having white uh, fur all over it it's it's the you know brownish fur everywhere. yeah anyway they come up and they rib him in the meantime he's trying to ignore them and he's looking and basically he pulls a toy soldier out of the back of his coat of his pack and stabs uh, one guy in the eye with it mm-hmm. and then everybody kind of screams and somehow he pulls out a hatchet that he has too and he knocks the other people down he's pretty much killed at least three of these people right. uh, and 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 down on the ground in front of a group of folks nobody really runs out to no. do anything everybody's just sort of standing and staring uh, and then he gets in his extremely conspicuous right. <laughs> truck and drives off and that's another problem with this movie which which really puts it more in the surreal category yes. you know than in anything realistic 
and that is that these things are just sort of allowed to happen. And any true human intervention just... We're, we're kind of in a world here where people don't act the way they would normally act in right, realistic ways. absolutely. You know, and it really shouldn't come as a big surprise. I haven't listened to the commentary but I on the, on the Blu-ray um, release, but uh, apparently the director uh, says in the commentary, and this is a quote, This is the genesis of the whole movie. 1970, smoked a joint and saw an image of Santa Claus with a knife in his hand and then built the whole story around it. So <laughs> the surreal nature might be explained by that, I suppose. Lewis Jackson, right? The yeah, director. And right. didn't he do that commentary with John Waters? With John Waters. And this is, funnily enough, this is one of uh, John Waters' favorite movies, period. And, and uh, his favorite Christmas movie, he plays it at his uh, Christmas party every year, or at least that's what he claims in the commentary. And really, the attention that, you know, he's written about it in his books and he's talked about it in interviews, and that's kind of increased the popularity of it somewhat in certain circles. Sure. But uh, yeah, I read some uh, some of the quotes from their commentary and some pretty interesting stuff. Well, you know, it's not too far out of the territory of John Waters, quite honestly. I right. mean, you think this is the guy who did Pink Flamingo, later went on to do Crybaby, but you especially look at his earlier work, and it's in many ways very reminiscent of it. A lot of John Waters' earlier stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. It kind of goes all over the map. It's really more about the characters themselves and their quirkiness and about the kitsch aspect, which he's all about. You right. Know? And this this is something John Waters, this is a movie John Waters could have made, except he wouldn't make something that's quite this dark. Right. You know, everything right. he does is kind of this element that's laughing at itself. Yeah. This movie has joke elements in it. It has some humor, but... You do, I do at least question whether that humor was intentional or whether it was not. I don't think it was. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we're looking at it from our contemporary standpoint and uh, a lot of the things, <laughs> I mean, they, they play as silly. At the end, you know, there are several ones. The one that, um, it, it was funny, folks. We were, I was sitting here and at one point, Todd just kept going, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> There's, uh, at, you know, so he, he kills those people in front of the church and, you know, all of this happens pretty quickly because like I said, it, he doesn't even get to the, the violence doesn't happen until probably more than halfway through the movie. So then the the spree happens pretty quickly. He uh, kills those people at the church. Then he goes to the home of the guy who uh, conned him into taking his shift at work. And there's kind of a little unintentional, maybe funny part too, where he tries to squeeze down the chimney, but he gets stuck and he can't. <laughs> and like, this is like a, a two minute scene of him, like stuck in the chimney, trying to get out. Like and, realizing he can't. Right. <laughs> and he, he finally gets out and he goes in the window and did the he, basement window. Yeah. yeah. He leaves, um, he leaves presents for the kids. Uh, and then he goes into the guy's room and, kills this guy. First of all, he tries to smother him with his Santa bag, which doesn't look like it would be effective at all. And the guy's, like, thrashing and fighting. Meanwhile, his wife is just sleeping peacefully. Like, 12 inches away. <laughs> right? But, so eventually, I guess he realizes the smothering's not gonna work. He grabs the star off the Christmas tree. That's uh, over their bed. Right. And uh, slashes his throat with it, and the, the guy falls over on his wife, who now wakes up, but apparently is struck mute by the horror of the scenario, and kind of does this weird, like, <laughs> Silent, silent scream, scream. <laughs> really bizarre but um it almost looked like she might have screamed in, re in when they were shooting this but he took the sound out in post you right. know it's just an open mouth kind yeah. of like ah! kind of bizarre and then um the, then the next day it's christmas day it's all over the news that there's this killer santa um and then <laughs> we cut to like the police station oh my gosh <laughs> 
just this utterly unnecessary bits are thrown in with the police. There are only two of them, and they don't go anywhere. Mm -mm. But they've (laughs) the newscaster who himself is pretty hilarious, you know, announces, hey, if you know if you know anybody who's dressed up as Santa, please report them to the police. Right. And don't come near anybody dressed as Santa. Just this total ridiculous thing. Uh, and the police have, sure enough, created this lineup of Santa, people dressed as Santa, uh, <laughs> who are coming through and stepping out. And that was the one moment that I thought, okay, they know what they're doing here. They're intentionally being funny. Because even as they file off the stage, another guy, you know, another group of Santas come up, and one of them's black. And he says something about, what's up with this jive-ass yeah. deal or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of in the background, kind of as an aside. I thought, okay, the, he put that in on purpose. That's funny. But then the dialogue that follows is totally oh. inane. You know, maybe our Santa's going to do some good after all. You mean give the myth back its meaning? Myth, Schmidt. Don't make kids scared again. They won't think everything's coming to them so easy. They're bad. Santa will get them. You're a real philosopher. You know that, uh, Gleason? Got me. Rilla. Any luck? They knew Santa was coming last night. Their mother told them so. I can't figure out the connection between Stoller and the three victims outside the church. Santa's hit list is goddamn selective. You mean gift list? He's making a list, checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty or No, no, no. It wasn't any of these. Right. It's horrible. It couldn't have even looked good on the page. No. And and that's the problem with this movie in general. Um, I feel like Lewis Jackson actually has some good stuff in here. He really does a good job, I think, of portraying this guy slowly being unhinged. He takes his time with it. Mm-hmm. He has very interesting camera angles. Very good pacing, I have to say, yeah. on those elements. As long as you're not expecting a slasher film that's going to be a shock a minute and you're in the mood for this sort of slow character study, that's what you get, and it's very effectively done. I thought so, too. I was really surprised, actually, because I knew, because I, I, I had read about it, I knew that the violence didn't start until late in the film, and I thought, uh, that seems like an awfully long time to get there. But it didn't really feel like it. I mean, it was really kind of an interesting look into this guy's mm-hmm. life. I wasn't bored. I think if it had taken any longer, <laughs> even a minute longer, <laughs> it, it might have gotten to that territory of boredom. But uh, I wasn't, and it didn't feel long. It didn't feel like I was checking my watch every couple minutes. You know, it reminded me of um, Maniac. Yeah, that's rich- so funny. I right. wrote that down too. Mm. Very reminiscent. There's another one that's that's way way off the reservation from even Maniac uh, called C- Combat Shock. Nope, don't know. Something that Troma released not you know quite a while ago about a Vietnam vet who comes home and sort of has to come to terms with things. It's more of an art house movie, very much closer to this gotcha. um, than to Maniac. But again, in the same vein, where you're really following this guy around that's unhinged and you're kind of watching a breakdown, and it's interesting and it's good and it's artistically done. However, the moment two people have to talk to each other. It all falls apart. Yeah. The dialogue is horrible in this film. The acting between most of the actors is melodramatic it at is. times. It's just, it's bad. Yeah. I mean, there's a scene, you know, once the, once Harry's brother, Billy, and his wife see the news report the next morning, you can kind of tell that uh, Billy is already suspicious that this may be Harry, but there's an exchange between Billy and his wife, and oh. it's just, the acting is, is, is bad. It's painful to watch. Yeah. Why won't you believe something's wrong with you? You gotta stop this! Harry has forced me to be this way. Just be honest with yourself about why he's not here. You don't understand. Honest 
understand what's happened to us. How could you understand? Dennis, turn that down. <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate because the lead guy, who's act- whose name I don't know, is really not bad. I mm. mean, he's he's an interesting kind of actor. I mean, he certainly doesn't look like your stereotypical Hollywood actor type. He's a very average-looking guy. He's got kind of a Paul Giamatti-esque kind of... Yeah, yeah. ...little bit, anyway. Right. But there's a kind of a subtlety to his performance. You know, there's not... When it's just focused on him... There's not much dialogue. There's not much talking. You know, you just kind of watch him through his expressions and uh, a little bit through um, some, you know, his flashbacks and stuff. And and from time to time, like he'll hum Christmas tunes. And you know, when he's happy, he's humming very cheerily. And then when he gets angry, it gets very dark and kind of sinister. Is humming. Um, so his performance is really not bad. No, I, I would even say it's it's good. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting and it's good because of how far he could have taken it. Right. He could have been like everybody else and been very melodramatic about it the whole time through. Or he could have played it really over the tops Looney Tune. Exactly. Uh, and, and he doesn't. In, in fact, uh, and, and, you know, eventually he puts on the Christmas uh, suit and he looks very Santa-like. I mean, he's he's a, a good looking Santa. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of close-ups on his face and there's kind of a softness and innocence in his eyes, you know, kind of almost like a childlike nature. And I, I you know, I found myself kind of feeling sorry for the guy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, not, oh, of course. And, and it's really in that sweet spot where there really are people like this. This, this is a, a not Hollywood type uh, slasher killer, somewhat supernatural. What do you say? It's hard to break, uh, right. impossible to gets away everywhere. Uh, it, it's what happens when you have a movie like this that follows the killer. That's who our focus is throughout the whole film, as opposed to we're on the side of the victims being acted upon by the killer. It reminded me a little bit of a documentary called "I Think We're Alone Now." I haven't seen that either. Oh man, you know it's it's worth a watch, but it's incredibly sad, and it follows two people who are obsessed with the singer Tiffany from the mm-hmm, 80s. You remember mm-hmm. her? Yeah. I think we're alone now. Yeah, had all the shows in the mall and stuff like that. They're in the same age as this guy. One's a little younger. And they live Tiffany like this guy lives Santa Claus. Pictures up all over the wall. One guy just is sure that they're going to get married. They've sort of built this relationship that doesn't exist, but it's all in their heads. And it's a funny movie. It's extremely sad and depressing very compelling and after seeing a film like that that's a documentary that's real you can really understand that there are people like this out there right and it does seem like they were really kind of trying to consider the psychology you know it's it's uh, i don't know i imagine there was a, some tongue-in-cheek to this but and and i certainly don't mean to be offensive in any way i'm just saying what john waters said was that he sees Harry as as being kind of equivalent to a transgendered person, somebody who doesn't feel that they are who they're supposed to be, and they're desperate to try to make themselves into what they want to be. Um, and he says, you know, that uh, this guy kind of fetishizes Christmas a little bit. And there is a scene when he's putting on the Santa garb, and he puts the spirit gum on his face, and he the beard up on the glue, and then he starts tugging at it and tugging at it, and it won't come off. It's me. Like, he's 
really made this transformation. And it's 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 odd and creepy, but sad at the same time. It really is. It's funny you bring that up because coincidentally, and I think you alone, I think I'm alone now. One of the people in that is transgender. There's a lot of psychology there. There's probably a bit of Freudian aspect to it, a little bit of that. When I imagine what we're trying to understand is that when he saw his father as Santa, you know, making out with his mother, then when he puts on the Santa suit, he puts on a little bit of that persona, he's sort of trying to be that guy. He does look in on his brother and his wife when they're sort of making out on the mm-hmm. sofa. That's kind of an interesting moment. Those moments are so fleeting. Mm-hmm. They're really touched on, and that's probably skillful filmmaking, and they're not dwelled upon and hammered on your heads. But you're right, it does add an interesting texture to this character that really, I think, proves that this film, it's a well-intentioned, well-made-in-many-ways mm-hmm. film that just utterly fails to hit its mark in other aspects right. that just kind of derail the whole thing. Right. It, well, and it that's takes the, you out of it too much. It does a little bit. And especially, I'm sure, you know, we'll get to talking about the end here in a little bit where things really get kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the worst one I've seen. You know, there we one of the movies that we floated around talking about was Silent Night, Deadly Night because it's got this big cult following. It's kind of, when people think of horror movies, that's kind of the one that comes to Christmas mind. horror movies. Yeah, right. it, it's got that uh, iconic, you know, box cover with the Santa, you know, with the axe yeah um and so we thought about it but we both said it's such a bad movie like do we really want to sit and watch it again i mean if you're a horror fan i feel like you're kind of obligated to see it but it's really not a great movie and that came like four years after this uh, and i think really had to have drawn inspiration there are so many parallels um even you know what sends uh, the main character on his psychotic break is very similar it's a sexual related mm, thing with santa right. claus in that movie too but i think this movie is better than that movie oh, it's yeah. not a great movie but it's definitely not one of the worst i've seen no it's well lit and it's well um filmed it has great camera angles uh, it's you know the sin for a horror movie what makes a horror movie bad is boring, yeah, right? right? We will put up with a lot of schlock and a lot of bad dialogue and, and that a lot can be of fun. crappy stuff. It can still be fun, but if it's boring, you've you've turned us off completely. Yep. And this movie isn't boring. No. Not like Silent Light, freaking Deadly Night. It's <laughs> super boring to, to sit through. Yeah. You know, speaking of interesting camera angles, I was thinking particularly about one scene where Santa comes into, it's, it's still Christmas Eve, and he's murdered one or two people at Mm -hmm. least and he ends up in a Christmas party just sort of a random Christmas party Mm -hmm. another one of these maybe office or family or church parties or whatever it is kind of peering in the window and a couple guys in there see this Santa guy peering in the window and they're thinking oh this will be great for some laughs and they pull him in and you're wondering oh geez what's he going to do here is he going to kill these guys are they making fun of him Right. but they really embrace him as Santa and what really breaks him and makes him uh, happy and kind of out of his moodiness at this moment is when the crowd parts and these kids run up to him mm-hmm. and his Santa and suddenly he starts interacting with the kids handing out presents to them and the next thing we see is they're dancing around yeah. the room and he becomes the life of the party I mean he's having a good time they're celebrating him and he's celebrating with them it's a it's it's kind of a sweet it's moment. a sweet and, and tragic because you know what's going to happen yeah, to this guy absolutely. so it's just sort of sweet and tragic it's a it's a very good scene I I really like that. I, I did like too. where it was placed. And it was, uh, I, I love uh, his monologue at the end when, <laughs> when he finally says, I have to go. And he kind of gives this sincere farewell to the kids saying, 
I want you to remember to stay good boys and girls. Respect your mothers and fathers and do what they tell you. Obey your teachers and learn a whole lot. Now, if you do this, I'll make sure you get good presents from me every year. <laughs> but if you're bad boys and girls, your name goes in the bad boys and girls book. And I'll bring you something horrible. <laughs> the parents are in the background kind of giving each other side the eye kids like, are like wide open mouths and then he goes <laughs> <laughs> and everybody kind of laughs it's, it's funny that that is a brilliant scene on its own uh i really like that part well, and i think that it, it gets a lot to the psychology of what he's going through you know he calls his brother after he's killed these people after you know the police and everybody is on the lookout for him and he calls his brother and says you know i finally figured it out i finally figured out what i'm supposed to do and and i'm gonna do it you know you get the sense that he uh thinks that he's doing the right thing and then later um he (laughs) more happens before this but he ends up back at his brother's house and his brother is chastising him for what he did and he says uh i failed he says i i wanted to give people what they say they wanted but they don't want santa claus he says you know kids want someone to notice who's good and who's bad and they want to be rewarded for their good behavior so it's almost as though he just can't understand like he doesn't have the capacity to understand why what he's doing isn't acceptable. You know, for him, that is the true nature of Santa. You reward children for their good behavior and children who behave badly are punished. Santa as the judge. Right, yeah. right. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's sad that everything just gets so undercut by really weak plot points mm-hmm. and poor acting. And the reason that his brother is really worried about him is that he hasn't shown up. It's the first Christmas that he hasn't shown up there. Now... They're worried, but they're beyond worried. I mean, he's fuming around the house, sweating, and right. like talking to his wife. It's like, oh, please, come on. And then when he comes in, there have been these reports of these Santa Clauses, the Santa Claus who's murdering people and stuff, but they really have n- absolutely no basis for suspecting him of doing any of this, for thinking that he's dressing up as Santa, for thinking that he's behind this. I mean, it's a pretty far reach. But they jump to that conclusion pretty darn quickly, yeah. even before they see him dressed as Santa. Yeah. You know, you the get brother that, especially. The right. brother. It's 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 unfortunate writing, I think. Well, um, I feel, you know, we got to we got to get to the end. And, and I don't know. It's the ending is is odd. And I'm not exactly sure what they were going for. Now, like you said before, the whole thing is kind of surreal. Like, it really doesn't make any sense that he could still be so conspicuously driving around in the day yeah. in this this van and nobody would, would find him. But, you know, you suspend your disbelief to, to some extent. It's, it's, a, it's a horror movie, whatever. But then he goes... I don't remember where he's trying to get to. I feel like he's trying to get somewhere, but his, his van gets stuck right outside this really nice neighborhood that's really decked out for the holidays. Like, the whole street is lined with these light-up decorations and whatnot. And, uh... He encounters some children. Right. And children with their parents. And the children run up to him and embrace him. And, you know, this is Christmas evening, so they're thanking him for the gifts that they got. But his parents are on the lookout for this killer, and they believe that it is him. Um, And they start getting aggressive 
Uh, and he kind of, he doesn't use the children to shield him. The children do it on their own, um, but he kind of allows them to kind of protect him. And one of the dads gets aggressive and kind of comes at him with a knife, um, but he's able to get away and he starts running away. And then everybody in the neighborhood lights torches, lights up their handy torches, which they I, all had handy. Right. I mean, it's 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 the it's the mob Frankenstein, from Frankenstein mob in in 1980. And they're they're chasing him through the streets. This angry mob with every single one of them with a torch and. Um, you know, nobody shouting. Argh. Nobody hopped in a car on a motorcycle. Or no, anything. and so he runs back to his van, and and somehow the van comes loose or whatever, and um, that's when he drives to his brother, and he has the confrontation with his brother. His, you know, he kind of tries to talk. He's not reasonable, but he tries to talk reasonably to his brother and explain, you know, what he was doing. But uh, the brother freaks out and like strangles him, and and you think that um, you think that he's dead. The brother drags him out to his van and puts him in uh, the van. But then he comes back awake and he punches the brother and knocks him out, and he starts driving away. Coincidentally, at the same time that the angry mob arrives and is starting to chase him again, and he goes off speeding down the road and he swerves to avoid the mob and his van goes off a cliff or like over a bridge like an overpass or something or something but it clearly is it's not going over it but it's going off of it so (laughs) it just keeps flying straight through the air in what had to be the highest uh you know budget special (laughs) effect that this film had which isn't saying much no and uh and into the sky and we hear the last bits of the twas the night before christmas but i heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight merry christmas to all and to all a good night and it flies almost E.T. like across the moon, across the moon, and up there, and credits. The end, <laughs> right? And so, as his brother, <laughs> it must be said, watches in amazement. Right. It's not like this happened in his head, and he's really plummeted down into the water. Well, it's a little confusing. I mean, it could be, except for the fact that there's a shot of his brother looking in amazement. You know? Right. I know, but it, it is odd though, because you know. Everybody talks, if you read message boards or or whatnot, the ending is the part that everybody really talks about, this kind of really weird uh, surprise ending. In the IMDb trivia um, for the film, it says that he doesn't actually fly away, that there is actually a crash, and that you hear the crash, um, but people mistake it for the sound of the brother rolling down the hill. But I don't... And I was listening, I was paying attention, you do hear a crash after he goes over and the brother is rolling down the hill, which is also hilarious because it's so clearly like fake sheet snow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and I feel like there's even cardboard boxes that like pop out from underneath That's it. right, there's, <clears throat> he's clearly rolling um, through more than just... I, you do hear a crash, but like you said, I can't imagine that that was really the filmmaker's intention because then you see him flying off. And, and you see the brother watching. Now, if you didn't see the brother watching, I guess you could kind of look at it metaphorically, like he's escaped or, you know, in death. It's his way of going to, you know, Right, right. But uh, it's 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 peculiar, to say the least. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a weird end to a weird movie. And every once in a while, you just come across these movies that are just so oddball that you kind of don't even know what to make of it. Yeah. You know? It, again, it's very Lynchian. Uh, it's the sort of thing, and if there had been more really, truly sort of magical realism kind of aspects to it throughout, mm-hmm. the ending wouldn't seem so shocking and jarring. You'd put the movie in its place, you would understand this is the kind of film we're right. dealing with, 
and the ending would almost be fitting. But it comes so far out of left field and so quickly and so suddenly at the end that it doesn't seem quite right. I don't know. You know, I you don't know? know what would have been the fitting ending. Well, like, that's true. It, it, I mean, he'd die. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it, as odd as it may sound, it really kind of seemed like a fitting ending for this weird movie to me. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of strange things in here. I, I think it's... It's funny what that he smelts a toy soldier in his right. garage. <laughs> yeah, he's just got smelting tools. He's like uh, pouring the hot pouring hot lead like into this cast mold. Um, Quite a bit is made of that scene, which is interesting. But then it does end on that cool way where he kind of smacks a toy as he's leaving, and it, the camera ominously sort of jumps into this freaky looking sort of marionette teddy bear or whatever that's kind of bouncing. And yeah, one thing that. The, the film did really well with sound, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought the sound was very effective. It was a weird amalgamation of both what you said earlier, the traditional Christmas carols and the modern Christmas carols, with music that was clearly composed for it. Right. That was sometimes sort of your horror-type music. Your 80s synth kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, you have to have a fondness for, but I thought that what was here was actually really good. Yeah, and sometimes it was just noise. Mm-hmm. And... There were often very good transitions where the music would serve as a great transition where somebody was playing something on a record player and we've kind of heard it for a while. And then suddenly in this midst of this party, somebody stumbles against the record player that makes the record scratch. You get that scratching noise. And as we're moving into him kind of coming unhinged again in the van. Right. Or it changes the RPM. So you've got this, uh, you know upbeat, fun, traditional holiday song, but then somebody bumps it and the speed gets turned down, and so it's kind of this draw now, and it's kind of spooky. And they do that in the score, too, sometimes, where you'll have elements of Christmas songs that you can definitely recognize, and then they distort it in in ways that makes it unsettling. And I, I agree. I thought it was really effective. And it must be said, this is a movie that if you're grossed out by gore, you could probably watch. I mean, there's one bit where those three guy, people get killed, mm-hmm. aside, and that happens pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, there in, is one practical effect where a guy, like, gets stabbed through the eye, and, you know, it's so fast. It's blinking, you miss it. You hardly notice it. Right. And it's, like, in sort of a close-up, but it's almost in silhouette in yeah. a way, and so that shouldn't scare you away from watching this film if that's the sort mm-hmm. of thing that bothers you. It's probably everything else. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know who I would recommend this film to. I... It's. I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily something that I would ever watch again. No. Um, but it was interesting to see, you know, and there is some hype. You know, there are people uh, out there in, in horror communities who really kind of cherish this as one of their classic Christmas horror films. And um, I'm, I'm glad to have seen it now. I don't feel the same way, but, you know, it, it's an interesting effort nonetheless. It is. It's not a bad movie. It's just not a very good one. Yeah. I was hoping to weave these things in more naturally, but there was some of the stuff that came from uh, the Waters uh, commentary that he did with the director that I feel like is just too good not to mention. I think it's the lead actor. Is Fiona Apple's dad? No way. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that random? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And uh, in the uh, John Waters, uh, or somebody in in one of these asks... 
if uh, if they think she's ever seen it, and the director says he doubts it. Um, <laughs> another another thing we talked about that scene where Harry kind of scares the kid, and then his mom's trying to pull him away. In that scene, you know, when the kid's like, "There's somebody in the bushes," the mom just slaps him right across the face, which is hilarious in itself. <laughs> but that mom was Patricia Richardson oh from Home Improvement, and I knew that going in, and I didn't even notice. Recognize I didn't her. even recognize no her at all. She must have been super young. <laughs> Um, and then finally, that uh, the scene that we talked about where he kind of stumbles upon the Christmas party and he's looking through the window watching people dance, that <laughs> the dancing in that scene, which is, you know, not super impressive choreography or anything, but it was choreographed by Meryl Streep's brother. Like, it's, it's just some of the most <laughs> random connections that I thought were so interesting to read about. And I guess all that comes from the commentary, which I can only imagine would be just as amusing to oh. watch, if not more so, <laughs> than the film itself. That's the only way I'd watch this movie again, yeah. is to hear John Waters and the director yeah. of talking about this. And I'm sure John Waters fawns all over this film. Yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Christmas Evil, otherwise known as You Better Watch Out. We've got one more week coming up of Christmas-themed horror movies. We're going to be watching Rare Exports next week. It's a catch us then next week, same time, same channel. We're there on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on our website. If you enjoyed this podcast, as always, please share it with a friend. Check out our Facebook page. Like us on there. Until next week, this is Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.